1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today.
0: Talk Money to Me.
2: Hello and welcome to Talk Money to Me, your need to know financial podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Candace Burke
3: and I'm Felicity Thomas and we're back with our interview episode where we sit down with an expert in our industry to chat about financial strategies, the markets and all things finance. Now, In last week's episode, which we think you should go and listen to, we gave our listeners the lowdown on all things investment bonds and why people would consider setting one up. And this week, we've got a very, very special guest lined up for you. Please welcome the Chief Executive Officer of Generation Life, Grant Hackett, who actually joined the team back in 2017. Now, I'm sure his name sounds very familiar to a lot of our listeners, as he's most famous for winning the men's 1500 metre freestyle in both the 2000 and 2004 Olympics. So, welcome, Grant. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Felicity and Candace.
3: Our pleasure. Actually, funnily enough, I have actually met you before, but you wouldn't remember. So I was about nine years old, and it was actually at the Crown Plaza in Terrigal uh, at go. the pool around the spa. So
1: far uh, out, nine years old. God, yeah, you look a little bit different now, I have to say. So I can't quite reconcile the two, but um, it's a small world.
2: Well, we're pumped to have you on the show, Grant. So thanks once again for joining us. Last week, we in our need to know episode, we talked kind of about what investment bonds are, who might typically use them, and a few reasons why investors would find them attractive. So today with you, we're super excited to explore more about the particular features of the general life products that you have and to get more about into that. But before we do, here comes our financial disclaimer. Our chat today is not personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at Shoreline Partners, so please note that the podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor as a financial product. As always, you should seek professional financial advice before making any of your investment decisions. Jumping straight into it, obviously you're well known as a sporting athlete and a legend in the in the swimming pool, but I'm fascinated to hear, you know, the story of actually how and why and what got you into the financial services industry after being an Olympic athlete?
1: It's really funny, you know, ever since I was a young kid I was always interested in finance and business and, you know, anything that was kind of transactional related and um, it was back in 2003 I I sat down actually with my, you know, current boss and he was my boss for a while in the Westpac BT days when I, you know, soon joined financial services after swimming but sat down with Rob Kerm and another gentleman from um, Macquarie Bank and And really, I just said, you know, look, this is what I want to do after swimming. I'm studying commerce law. um, And I was kind of looking at investment banking or retail commercial banking. And, you know, I really enjoyed my conversation with Rob and stayed in touch with um, Rob for for many years afterwards. And I always kind of had this runway into financial services that I wanted to to test to see if it was something I would enjoy. And, you know, it was literally a few weeks after the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing where I started working in financial services and never really looked back. really enjoy I guess all the different aspects to it. Um, you know, it's I've always loved markets. I've always been into to investments, and obviously going into the finance side um, of things, you get to understand that in a lot more detail. So for me, it was a space I was always interested in. I think swimming gave me an opportunity and a platform to have conversations with some really senior people in the industry, so to get some mentoring and some guidance on where I should go. And then I guess you get the opportunity uh, to then get in there, and you know, I've studied, done my postgraduate degree, and everything else like anybody else who's going into to the corporate world, and yeah, just had a bit of a crack and, and kind of I guess found my way into to the position that I am today. And I've always enjoyed probably two aspects of the job is one, I love the people leader side of the job. I, I really like seeing other people do well and seeing them step up in their career and progress. I find that quite inspiring for, for myself to to be totally honest. And it was probably the reason I was the the you know, swimming team captain and you know did quite well in my own um, performance when I was captain, which my coach was always worried about because he thought it would detract from my performance and Um, On the other side, financial services, just a fascinating industry with so many different moving parts and obviously, you know, plays a big role in in a lot of people's lives. So, um, yeah, for me, it was kind of just bringing those two aspects together and I've thoroughly enjoyed it ever since.
3: That's some great insight. Now, has there been any lessons actually gained from being an athlete that crossed over to your current role as a CEO? Besides, obviously, well, you did kind of answer that, didn't you, with regards to being the team captain? I guess that was your start in leadership.
1: Yeah, I think for me, that's probably what I learned about myself was, you know, going into more of a leadership role was actually good for my performance. Because sometimes I think you can focus on yourself too much, particularly in the sport of swimming. You know, we see it as very much an individual sport, except obviously the relays. But when you're executing, you're out there on your own. So, you know, it's almost like watching a tennis player in many respects. And so for me, when I actually got the captain role and I took that focus a little bit away from myself and I started investing in other people's performances, Mm. it actually helped with my performance. And that also came back to me because they started supporting me a lot too. So I really got that insight into myself and how I tick and how I'm wired a little bit more with respect to the leadership side of whether it's in business or sport. Some of the other things that I think... Are quite interesting that you can transfer over from the sporting world into the business world is obviously the, the performance, um, the drivers of success, the principles of success. And you've got to learn, okay, how's goal setting or being able to bring a team together, create a high performance structure in sport, which is really, really simple in many respects and actually, you know, bring that structure over into the business world. And so I really tried to put a lot of time and effort and thought into to that, particularly when I went into Westpac and I saw very different cultures from what I was used to on the swim team versus what I saw um, in the business world. And, you know, creating frameworks like just a, a clear definition of success and failure in sport that is so easy, in business sometimes that can be so grey. Understanding the, the why, the purpose. Like when I was on the swim team, there was forty-one people that you all knew wanted to be the best in the world at what they do, and thirty-six support staff that also wanted to be the best in the world at what they do. So it was really easy to see everybody's why. But sometimes the, the purpose or the reason why people are doing what they're doing is not as clear in business. So when you start to pull that out of other people, you get to see an improvement in their performance because. They, they have more clarity around their objectives and what they're trying to achieve. And then you create an environment that has a clear definition of success and failure and where we're going and why we're doing it from an organizational perspective. It can really drive the performance of the organization, but more importantly, the culture of the organization. And we're all signing up for the same thing. And, and it naturally weeds out the people that don't want to form part of that too, because it's so strong within the individuals that are participating in the business's, I guess, overall objectives and the reason why we're trying to achieve those objectives. So Yeah, there there was a lot of things. And and I'm always thinking back to my sporting years when I was kind of up and coming. What was the hunger and the desire that I had then as an athlete that really drove me to get to an Olympic Games and to to win in front of my home country? Because I don't often think back to what it was like when I was winning because that's when you've kind of done a lot of the hard yards to actually get there. I think about when I was 14, 15, 16, what are the things that were driving me then? What was it like when people were telling me that I wasn't going to be good enough and how did that motivate me to, to my performance? So I think of all of those little things and I just try and put those behaviors and those lessons into the business and, and you know, try and get people along that journey So so we're all signed up to the same thing.
2: I really like that because what you're effectively saying is you in you put a lot of effort in the long run to invest into yourself, hitting the pool early when you're at a young age to then set yourself up for that career. And that's that's what we can see in business. And that's what we can see as advisors, we always say that to our clients is let's invest in you now. So your future self is going to thank you for it.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's really hard for people to see that sometimes, you know, you do need coaching, you do need guidance. And It's really funny, you know. We're sitting here talking about financial services and giving financial advice, and it's such an important aspect of life because it's something that affects all of us. Whether it's saving for retirement, whether it's buying your first home, whether it's investing to make sure that you've got enough money to be able to support private school fees, and it's such a big part of our life. But it's funnily enough, we don't always have a coach in that area. We don't have the financial advisor, gives us the mentoring or the coaching, but. You know, we'll go and talk to Tiger Woods and he's got a coach, or we'll go and talk to, you know, some of the great tennis players or athletes out there, your Michael Phelps of the world. They're all amazing and the best in the world at what they do, but they still have a coach who keeps them accountable, who keeps sharing the vision with them, who keeps putting the pillars and the programs in place to make sure that every day they're getting the absolute best out of themselves and it's the same when it comes to your finances to get the absolute best out of your, yourself and your own you know financial well-being you need someone there supporting and driving that with you and and just that accountability it's like going to the gym right like I'll go to the gym tomorrow morning with a mate if I'm doing it on my own maybe i need that extra bit of rest i think i'm a little bit tired but i know if i'm meeting someone there and i'm accountable to that i'll most likely pull myself out of bed and get to the gym
3: oh that's so true you've basically sold to all of our listeners the reason that they need a financial advisor I mean, this is great. We'll just play that clip and send it to new prospects.
1: (laughs) But it just makes sense, right? Like, it's just logic. Like, if you want to be really good at something and get an outcome, then get a coach, get a mentor. It's like when you go to the gym, you get a personal trainer. It's like when you want to be good at sport or you want to see your kids good at sport. What's the first thing you do? You go around and look for the best coaches and best teams that you want to form a part of. Same in financial services. Go and get the best advisor you can out there. Go and talk to all your friends and family who have got a financial advisor or work with a certain business. And get their insights and see what their reputations like.
3: Definitely. And I think another really good point, uh, which would be relevant in your life and ours, is it's not going to happen overnight. You know, you're not going to make money in the markets overnight. You're not going to become an elite athlete overnight. It's a long-term game plan.
1: It's like it took me 15 years to become an overnight success, yeah. as they say. <laughs> and it's, it's so true. It's like we, we see all this amazing talent coming of somewhere, but they have been grinding for 10, 15, 20 years. It's the same in financial services. I mean, what did Warren Buffett call it? The eighth wonder of yep. the world, compounding yeah. interest. Like, it's so true. Like, and that's what investing's like, right? It's, it's sort of, okay, I start here. I've got this massive goal. And I always use the comparison of my goal in the men's 1500 meter freestyle. When I had a goal to win the Olympics, it's a 30 lap race. The best in the world at the time was a fellow Australian, Kieran Perkins. I was over four laps behind him. Now, you win and lose by one of a second in this sport, not by over four laps. So I was, it was just a goal that was so far out there. And it's like saying, I need a million dollars to own my home or whatever it might be. And I'm earning this much a month. It's like, yeah, you start at a really small step, but then you make these, these increments, these increments, these increments, and you do it over time and you maintain the discipline. Then all of a sudden, you kind of look back and go, wow, I've made some serious progress. And you feel really proud of that. And then what happens is you get this thing called motivation. You think, I want to do more of that. I want to try harder. And that's, and that's the biggest problem. When I often talk to people about motivation, they sit there waiting for motivation to hit them. Motivation doesn't hit you first and then you go on to achieve your goals. You actually just have to start when you feel tired, when you don't want to do it, when it just, it feels like, you know, that goal is insurmountable. That's when you start. Then all of a sudden those those little steps or those little milestones that you hit on the way, they're the things that start to produce the motivation to want to do more, to want to, you know, train or try harder or whatever it might be that you're trying to achieve. And, and I know that's what happened to me in sport. Every time I got to, I was four laps off. Wow, I'm only three laps off now. I'm only 100 meters off now. Like you go, okay, I want to do more and more and more. And it's exactly the same with your finances. As soon as you start seeing those milestones or those goals that you, those smaller goals, those digestible ones that you hit, you're ready, you're ready for the bigger ones.
3: Well, we're feeling very motivated right now. So I guess for our listeners who might not be familiar with investment bonds, how do you describe what Gen Life do and actually offer for investors?
1: It's, it's really simple. I often say to people when they ask about investment bonds, they go, well what is it??" And I said, well, it's just another legal structure to invest in. So then you go, well you know you can invest through a company, you can invest through your own name, you can invest through your superannuation, you can invest through a trust. Investment bonds is just another category like that that you can invest in. Now, the most comparable one of those structures that I just referred to that it's like is superannuation because it's an after-tax paying structure. Now, we all know super because we're all, you know, pushed into it because of the super guarantees, of course, and there's just so much commentary around it. But if you have never heard of superannuation, it would sound very complex and I don't know how this works and... Investment bond sits in this spot where, because it's not as mainstream, people don't often understand it unless you sort of explain it to them and go through the detail of it a little bit more. The big difference between us and superannuation, our headline tax rate is thirty percent. You know, with all your ad backs and your franking credits and the way we manage the tax position, it often sits below twenty percent for a lot of our um, funds that we have on our investment menu now that you and your financial advisor choose. Um, and so, you know, comparable to, to superannuation with a headline rate of fifteen percent. So. Best way to explain it, just another legal structure that's been around much longer than superannuation with very few changes in it. And it's an after-tax paying structure. So you don't have to worry about doing your tax returns or anything like that. So from an administration point of view, very, very simple, very, very set and forget.
2: And so the process involved, do you necessarily need a financial advisor to set one up talk us through the process
1: the the way our inflows work so if we just look at last quarter we did you know around 182 million dollars worth of total inflows just over 90 percent of those inflows come through the financial advice network so it's a lot of it's coming through the advice space and that's purely because of some of the reasons that i just spoke about that they are a lot more educated they understand this investment structure they trust it a lot more they know how the after-tax position works Um, And then about eight or nine percent actually come from the direct channel, which we haven't put much time or energy into at this particular stage because we're big believers of financial advice. So if we go out there and educate the financial advisors, they'll then educate the clients. And that's the way we start to produce, I guess, a bit more scale within our business as well. Um, And we're big believers in financial advice, too. So from our point of view, we are seeing that direct client um, piece actually grow over time as, you know, there is a little bit more education out there people can appreciate that there are caps in superannuation. So it's like, well, where do I put this pool of money that I would normally be putting inside superannuation that I can't actually do anymore? And that's really been a big part of the renaissance of investment bonds for us as well. And one of the big reasons I actually joined the business.
3: Awesome. And they're also not obviously locked away for as long as superannuation, pending your age um, and how long you actually have to retirement.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the big difference between us, is that you've got full liquidity of your funds. Mm. So if you set up an investment bond last week, you can access those funds. Um, there is a lot of incentive to hold an investment bond for a long time because obviously the tax position improves over time. And then once you get to 10 years onwards... There's actually nothing to declare on a tax return. So if you take a full withdrawal, regardless of how much it is, you don't have to write that down. That money that goes from generation life that you've been holding in your investment option over to your bank account stays that $100,000 will be $100,000 tomorrow and the tax man's not going to come knocking on your door. So, And also um, for for people inside 10 years, there's obviously a lot of um, tax incentive around that as well, because even if you take a partial withdrawal, it's always... Um, A portion. So the ATO always look at some of it as capital and some of it as income. So um, from that point of view, if you're on a high marginal tax rate um, and you've been paying, you know, under thirty percent with us, depending on the investment options that you're in, and then you're prorated, I guess, if you're taking a partial redemption inside ten years, obviously the overall tax that you're paying, if you were to do that investment option directly under your own name, you're going to find yourself in a much much better position. So yeah, the liquidity is a big difference between us and superannuation. Um, And obviously, there's a lot of other ancillary features um, with investment bonds that people don't appreciate as well.
3: All right. So we've got another question for you then. Why would a parent or grandparent, for example, use an investment bond to actually invest for their child or grandchild's future rather than actually having it in their own name?
1: Great question. Um, The reason that you would actually pass it on to someone else or you would leave someone else as a, a beneficiary is because... Um, there's two, there's two probably key reasons. One, there's a natural tax arbitrage in there if you're on a high marginal tax rate and you're quite wealthy. Actually, I'll go through a few reasons. The, the next one is that it's very much said and forget, so you don't have to worry about the administration, the tax return. Um, you know you're on a, quite a low tax rate, so therefore you know that you're just putting money into that particular investment and it's going to be safe for a future purpose. So we see a lot of grandparents do that because they like to contribute to private school fees or some other future costs, maybe a home deposit, particularly you know, housing being so expensive in this country. Other real aspect is around estate planning. A lot of grandparents want to leave something, you know, a couple of generations down to their grandchildren and they don't want it to go through their kids. And there's a few reasons why. We've got a heap of case studies here that we could go through, but sometimes um, their kids might be divorced, but there's children from that marriage. Um, They might be worried um, about that marriage. Um, And so they wanna bypass that generation for whatever reason it might be. And you can actually do that through an investment bond and know that those beneficiaries will 100% receive those funds because of the binding nominations, because it's a non-estate asset doesn't have to flow through your estate. So it's really, really powerful. And we do a lot of business for estate planning for these exact reasons. Also, the other aspect, which is quite unique to Generation Life, is we have a thing called a future event transfer facility. So basically, it's like holding the money in trust um, for a future point in time. So if you're looking at those grandchildren, you go, I want to give each of them $200,000 each for my estate. But wait a second, that one's age five, that one's seven, that one's 12 years old. You're like little bit young for a couple hundred thousand dollars, I think someone someone else will probably spend that money for them. You can say, no, they're going to get those funds when they turn 21 years of age. And I want to control how and when those funds actually flow out. So you can do that by a certain capital amount coming out each year or a percentage amount, any which way you want to cut it. And then you can actually lift those restrictions at a certain point in time. So they might get to age 30 and you might say, I don't want any more restrictions and they can access those funds if that's something you want to do. So the flexibility and the security is so powerful with the investment bond. And then you've obviously got this overlay of the tax arbitrage that's in there because you're not paying minor tax rates as well.
3: That's really important and that's great to hear. So, I mean, following on from that, do you actually invest in these investment bonds or child builders for your own children?
1: Yep. So, you yeah, setting it up for, for Edward for his um, future costs. I haven't got them for, for my first two kids, but absolutely. And it's funnily enough, a, a lot of the investment options that we actually have um, our chairman is, is one of our biggest investors so he's seeded a lot of our strategies and he's, and he's done a lot for our kids so a lot of people within our firm and funnily enough even when I'm going out there and talking results from a corporate point of view about how Generation Development Group is um, doing you know whether it's half year or full year results the amount of people that are coming to me now out in financial services that are saying oh, I've set these ones up for one of my kids or for someone else it's it's quite quite remarkable so that's really really nice to see
3: yeah, that is, really putting money where your mouth is, which is what
2: we do as well. And we went through that as an example in our last episode. I've recently just had a baby girl.
1: Congratulations.
2: Thank you very much. And she's one lucky little girl because she's got an investment bond set up for I, I picked the vetting age for twenty five years, but I like what you were saying. you know you can control your your children's or your grandchildrens or your great-grandkids, you know financial future and set it up and and almost control from the grave. It sounds a bit morbid, but a lot of, a lot of our clients, you know, they worry about these things. And it is like setting up a testamentary trust without all the legalities involved in it, right? Because it's protected.
1: It's it's so powerful, because one of the, the big things that people don't understand, too, is that these are tax free upon death. So it doesn't matter if you set one up last week, and then it's going into a beneficiary, if there's any tax liability that's been created in that short time frame, there's no tax to pay. So, you know, for a lot of people, they've got I guess all of these unique estate planning features that can actually solve some really complex problems, but then you've got all these tax benefits associated with it too. So it's really, really powerful because I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of people are worried about when they're transitioning wealth. What are the tax implications? What are they going to do with the money? You've got all these baby boomers that have created all this wealth, particularly even their own properties. Um, But in terms of passing it down in what they perceive to be an equitable fashion to the next generation, is really challenging for them. And investment bonds come in and help solve a lot of those complex problems because I've heard some nightmares when it comes to estate planning, you know, situations where Mm. there's two or three children in there. One's been looking after the parents who've been, you know, quite elderly or maybe over in aged care or whatever it might be. And so they've just wanted to leave $20,000 extra to say thank you because the other kids might live interstate or overseas. But then that's fractured the whole family. They've all gone into fighting over the estate, spending money on lawyers because... The big difference with us, if you want to challenge one of these, and of course you can challenge anything that you want to, um, you have to use your own money where if you're going through the estate and probate, you can actually use the funds from there to fight one another. So you're fracturing relationships and using the funds that someone else has really worked very hard for to, to build up over the course of their life. So it can avoid a lot of very sad situations. Yeah.
3: And I guess this is kind of a good leeway back to superannuation, right? Because the uh, baby boomers do have a lot of money in superannuation and a lot of them are actually worried about the tax that their adult children are going to have to pay upon their death. So this is potentially a good solution, isn't it?
1: Uh, absolutely. So we, we do a lot of modelling for, for people that might be in you know sort of a no tax environment when they're retired and you know, but they know that there's a taxable portion that sits within their superannuation. So, so we look at that and we look at, okay, if you're right near the end of your life, going into to our tax structure, what's the, what's the tax that you're paying inside the investment bond versus what you could call that, that death tax that might be sitting inside the superannuation as a liability? And we'll work out, okay, you know, if you pass away within 15 years' time, Uh, Well, inside 15 years time, sorry, you're actually in a better tax position with the investment bond than what you are with your superannuation. So we make sure that we have a lot of support here for financial advisors if they've got a unique situation and they think, wait a second, I've got an estate planning issue. This is something normally I'd go out to the estate planning lawyer and bring the accountants in to look at testamentary trusts and other sort of structures that are, are quite expensive to set up and very expensive to run over time where the investment bond could be a much simpler and even in a lot of circumstances, much more effective solution. So we make sure our technical team here provide all the analysis to the financial advisor. And, you know, integrity and credibility is very important in business. So we'll say, look, our structure is, is superior or our structure isn't superior as to, to what you're proposing on the other side. So go with that one or perhaps take a second look at ours.
2: That's awesome that you you go that extra mile to educate and inform the financial advisor because It is a one on one trusted personal relationship at the end of the day. And, you know, it's our job and and duty of care to make sure we're actually exploring lots of different options. So I want to come back to, you know, so it's obviously an investment bond you can use for setting up the next generation, the children's and, and so forth. But you can, as you as you've explained, Grant, use it for an early retirement option. Or even if you're already in super and you might be in pension phase, it's another alternative. But I guess when you've decided to make that decision with your financial advisor, what typical investment options are there and how does the board and, and yourself actually go through the investment process to select these investments that you can select inside the bonds?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question, Candice. It's actually, um, it's quite an extensive process for, for us to, to get on our investment menu. So um, we've got an investment committee that's set up that um, we go through a whole due diligence process with our investments team, which is a, another team that sits within uh, the, the business, obviously. And Um, You know, you can select any investment option that sits on our menu. So we cover every single asset class. Um, So you can create your own portfolio, you can create a core satellite approach, whatever it might be. You might go into one of the diversified options if you want a little bit more simpler and set and forget. So, and depending on obviously what your risk profile sort of is overlaid over the top of all of that. So um, for us, we want to make sure that we've got the right managers on there, that they've got the right performance. Um, we monitor it obviously very, very closely. You know, there's been some big name managers out there at the moment that have seen some, you know, turbulent periods. So, you know, we're on the phone to them, we're checking in with them on a very consistent basis. And um, for us, it's something that we take a a lot of pride and a lot of time and effort into. And look, there's kind of three key criteria that really that we look at as an investment committee, as a firm, if someone's coming onto our investment menu or or we're removing them for, for some other reason is one, you know, it has to be aligned to the financial advice network. So financial advisors have to be using them. So we rely on a lot of feedback from that. Um, it has to be on the approved product list, not just, you know, for, for us, but all the dealer groups and, you know, self-licensed practices that are out there. So it, it, there has to be some sort of alignment. No good putting on a, an amazing performing fund, but no one can actually write it because it doesn't, you know, sort of tick their risk and compliance box. Um, the second part is we also have to have a, a significant tax arbitrage in there. It's no good putting strategies inside an after tax paying structure if we can't bolster up the value proposition through our tax structure. So we do a lot of homework on that and all sorts of, I guess, stress testing scenarios and all sorts of, you know, macro environments that we might find ourselves in to make sure that those funds um, are going to outperform on a consistent basis. And then the other aspect on it is, you know, brand, the team, you know, the quantitative, the qualitative overview. So really just getting into, I guess, the the detail of that fund and their, their processes, their filtering processes, um, if it's an ESG fund or responsible investing you know, uh, investment option going on the menu, we make sure that they're actually doing everything that they say they're doing. It's not just greenwashing. So, yeah, it's quite quite an extensive process for us here. And it's even probably more so with us because we have um, a really interesting, I guess, set of categories that we have in terms of optimizing the tax position within our funds. So we've got tax optimized, tax enhanced and tax advantage. Now, these three layers don't sound too much. Um, when you sort of roll them off like that. But what we've been able to do here at Generation Life is because we've grown to well over $2 billion worth of funds under management, is that uh, we talk with the fund managers and we say, hey, instead of being managed in the normal unitized structure, we just get poured into that particular strategy with all the other investors coming from all other different practices and channels. We have our assets sit out the side so we can more closely manage the after-tax position. And we can do things within our tax structure Like offset a capital loss against income. Where normally you have to just carry that forward until you've got a capital gain and then you can offset it. So for us, through this tax optimized series, we're able to bring down the the tax liability quite materially as opposed to what a lot of other people can. So for us, it's important when we're talking to fund managers that we can actually work with them closely to make sure that we can set up these institutional mandates to maximize the tax position for our investors. We've seen some amazing results since we set that up 18 months ago for quite a few of our strategies.
2: That's fantastic. Well, in a moment, we're going to be chatting more about the investment process within GenLife itself and hearing more about the current markets. You kind of touched on that, so I'm keen to pick your brains on that. But before we do that, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors.
3: Ready to pop the question?
2: You mentioned earlier obviously the caps in the superannuation environment and one of the reasons you did join the firm um, was to really, you know, change that particular perspective around investment bonds and how you can help in retirement situations. So all of the innovations that you've just kind of gone through, what's that meant in the results for the inflows of the products in Gen Life?
1: Yeah, it's it's to be totally honest, it's been quite remarkable. When I when I joined here in September 11th, which is a very easy date to remember, one for two reasons, of course, what happened in New York, but it's also my twins' birthday. And uh, and in that year, it was a solid year, we did $131 million worth of inflows, which is, which is not a bad number. Um, fast forward to where we are today, and we're doing that in eight or nine weeks. So it's been a, a big step up. In terms of inflows, you know, the business was kind of around for, you know, 13, 14 years at that particular point in time back in 2017 and, you know, had just over $700 million worth of funds under management. Fast forward to today, you know, it's well over $2 billion that that we're actually managing. So There has been, uh, I guess, a a huge amount of inflows, a big uplift in terms of um, business and obviously the performance of our business. A lot of the innovations that we've brought in and and the team that we've got in, we've got a wonderful distribution team that really, really care about their financial advisors and, um, you know, helping support their businesses as well, which is a sort of big underlying ethos for us in terms of the way we approach things and want to be a user-friendly business and also you know, help advisors through what's been a quite a turbulent time for them through the Royal Commission and everything else. And you know, we're kind of getting a bit more back on track now, I think, more broadly as an industry, which is great to see. But yeah, for, for us, we saw that opportunity within superannuation that people just couldn't keep putting money in this after-tax paying structure in this low tax environment. And what was really funny about that was you probably expected more of a Labour government to to introduce those caps in superannuation where the wealthy were just putting you know, a lot, you know, hundreds of millions, some people have obviously got inside their superannuation, but it was a Liberal government that actually did that. So, and I think the other aspect that, that it's created and some of the feedback what we hear is look, I love my superannuation, but I don't completely trust that there's going to be more rule changes. There's not going to be more rule changes in there. And I, and I think that's where we come in and we say, well, we've had one change in just over 20 years. So, for, for us, we've kind of got that empirical data that we feel like a safe and steady structure and the eyes are really on that 3 trillion dollar pool not this kind of 12 13 or 14 billion dollar pool that sits over here in investment bonds. Yeah, well I
3: mean it is funny right because the government does want everyone to be self-funded retirees but then they've actually made it a little bit harder to be a self-funded retiree which actually makes sense why people are more leaning towards the Gen Life investment bonds because they can't get more into super but they still want a tax effective in you know, a retirement stream.
1: Absolutely and and this is where we talk about we're, we're a sleeve. You know, we're not the silver bullet. We form part of your overall strategy. Um, so we're certainly not the holistic approach. We're, we're, we're a piece of that pie. And where we fit in is we, we just solve a particular problem. Oh, you know, you want to transition to retirement earlier. Well, you know, preservation age is probably going to get pushing back, particularly for people in our age group category. Like, it's scary. When am I going to actually see my superannuation? Yeah,
3: exactly. It'll be like, you have to be 70. Uh, no, thank you.
1: Yeah, correct. And so for a lot of people in our position where you're going, okay, that age is probably going to be pushed out a little bit more. There's going to be more requirements when you get there. You think, oh, I want to have a transition to retirement. So a lot of people that might be on, you know, a tax rate that's over 30 cents in the dollar. So naturally there's a tax arbitrage in there. Um, They're putting their $25,000, you know, that they can each year into superannuation or a certain amount that they're happy with. And they think, well, I want to be able to have an alternative. I want the choice to retire early or dial down, my working hours or working days and really enjoy this part of my life and transition a little bit slowly, but I'd love to do it tax effectively where, you know, and this is where the investment bond comes in. If you've held it for 10 years plus, and then you're taking a distribution from it, there's no more tax to declare. And if you're dialing down your working hours, you've got this great situation where you're kind of minimizing your tax liability. You're still getting the right amount of income that you want to um, in terms of satisfying your lifestyle. Um, and you still got that, that purpose of working, but not to the extent that you wanted to before. So it's, it's a really, really nice enabler of the lifestyle that you're looking for, particularly for for people that sit within, you know, sort of their, their 30s or 40s and they're a little bit proactive. Um, look, and I think the other aspect that just touching on investment bonds that I think is really important, too, is that. there's uses regardless of where you sit on the spectrum. So, you know, for a lot of people, they go, oh, you know, I'm not necessarily getting the tax efficiency out of that because I'm retired and I'm not paying much in tax. But then they come to us for estate planning because the estate planning part is a lot more important than, you know, whatever tax efficiency that they might have been looking at to to create or they're not even worried about or concerned about as well. So what's um, interesting about an investment bond too is that, there's just so many features to it, and we try not to overwhelm people with it because another feature that's really important is that is not out there in the marketplace I mean, a lot of people don't even know about investment bonds is that it's creditor protected as well. So, section 116, the Bankruptcy Act, it's creditor protected. So then you start lining up all of these features. You're like, wow, I've got a, a tax arbitrage in there. I've got liquidity so I can access my funds at any point in time. I've got more security around my estate planning. And wow, I've de-risked my overall wealth because if something blows up as a business owner, I still know this money that I've put away over here is protected as well, um, like it might have been if I was in a trust or something like that. But the accessibility, if you have something go wrong and fall into financial hardship, you don't even need to wait for that 10 years for there to be no tax liability to, to be created um, or to be declared. You can actually take those funds straight away. So it's its the, the features of an investment bond are really powerful but it's the flexibility and the strategies that you can deploy that really enhance it depending on enhance it depending on your circumstances.
2: I think that's a really key point. You know, it it is a like you were saying at the start, you know, you're setting up, you're putting in the hard work now, you're setting up your financial future for those certain, you know, variables to play out in your favour. And I guess really topical given the volatility we're seeing in the markets, a lot of geopolitical risk. We've got a probably uh, election year here in Australia. So lots of moving pieces to the market and someone's financial plan conversation. So, you know, let's talk about the downside risk, right? You're a small part, like you said, of the holistic side of someone's financial future, but what what happens when it goes wrong in the market? Have you had to sit down with your investment process and go through the mandates and go through the financial products and managers that you do use to say, that's a red flag. Maybe we need to, you know, talk about what goes wrong in in the industry, I guess.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have to look at all, all sorts of parameters when we're talking about a fund manager on there and, you know, is there any sort of style drift? Has there been team turnover? How far is their performance off benchmark? So, There's all sorts of aspects that you need to look through. And you also got to look through, um, I guess, a bit of the noise as well. Like some strategies aren't going to perform well in certain environments, you know, whether it's value, whether it's growth, whether it's an absolute return strategy. So that's that's why it always comes back to diversification, right? Like it's like instead of just throwing all my eggs in, in this particular investment bucket, so to speak, it's making sure that I've got a strategy that... I know is going to grow over to- grow over time, but I can sleep at night, and th- and that's the most important aspect of investing: being able to sleep at night. It's no good. It's good looking at that fund manager going, "Wow, they've spent three years at a forty percent return." I'm going to go on that one, but then all of a sudden, their volatility is so high that they could actually have a forty percent down month. You know, and I've seen some managers, not on our investment menu, but some hedge funds, where you've seen them up to almost sixty percent down in a month when you look back in March 2020. And unless you're, and you could be sixty percent up probably at some point in time as well, but you've got to know what level of volatility, what level of risk will allow you to sleep at night. And I think that's one of the most important aspects when it comes to investing. And and certainly, when it comes to, um, I guess you know, markets that are are growing, you know, there's a lot of winners um, in those types of scenarios. Plenty of liquidity in the system, but. You know, you have to make sure that you've got a a bit of a black hat on sometimes. And every time you're having the conversation about an investment option or what's sitting on the menu, what happens if it all goes wrong? What happens if there's a massive correction within the market? How are these strategies going to perform? Are these teams set up to be able to endure that? And for how long? So these are all the questions that we need to consistently ask ourselves to make sure that we're always on the edge of our seat. You know, one of the big things there's two kind of underlying principles I really believe in is one is always stay humble um, and always work hard. So... Humility stops you from creating blind spots um, in anything because as soon as you think you've got it, as soon as you think you're doing well, and I, and I know I've learned this from my sporting career, something comes and bites you. And the reason it bites you is because you weren't on the lookout for it. You weren't sort of staying a little bit, you know, a level of healthy paranoia. Um, so I think that, that humility is really important. You've got, always got to be asking yourself those really tough questions. And the other aspect is, yeah, you've got to, you've got to work hard. The only way to really produce results And that's kind of how our business operates. And I I think we're really good at not getting ahead of ourselves. And as soon as we have a good result, we're kind of saying, "Okay, we have a good result. Like, you know, after your biggest successes, normally your biggest failures come and vice versa. So we've almost got this internal paranoia of making sure that we're always moving forward and we're not plateauing in terms of our approach or psyche within the business. And I think we have that overlay when we're talking about some of the investment managers that we're looking at on the investment menu as well.
2: And I think, you know, just want to uh, bring in that sport analogy as well. You know, your own investment mandate, your own investment philosophy, with all the volatility going on, uh, no doubt you have a financial plan, you know, one, two, five, ten years. What are you seeing personally in the markets as an opportunity? <sighs>
1: It's really, because it's a very personal question. I'm glad we've got that disclaimer yes, yeah. um, <laughs> at the start of this podcast.
2: Yeah, this is not stock advice, guys.
1: Oh, look, I am a big believer in diversification. And it's funny, um, the more like kids I've had, I'm up to number three, the more I get like hell bent on that because I feel more and more safe and I can sleep at night. So, you know, as I was kind of coming through my, my swimming career and, you know, just into business and, and didn't have kids, I was really all on growth assets the whole time, like, you know, which there's a lot of risk with a lot of those where, you know, I can say over the last kind of three years, a lot of that psyche for me, I've gone oh. into, okay, where can I produce a little bit more security and cash flow? So I've really started as I've gotten older, I'm 41, I've started just to diversify more and more and gone, okay, what are the assets that I know are going to continue to produce cash flow, even in a you know sharp contraction? What are the ones that might dry up? So, I'm I'm a spreadsheet sort of nerd. So I'll be sitting there and I'll be going through all sorts of different assets that I'm in, all sorts of different investment. What's their purpose? How do they um, How do they go in the good times? How do they go in the bad times? So, and for me, when I when I look at that overall landscape, because I mean, Australia, we're always long in property, right? We always have a heap of property. It's the Australian dream, and we've all got our money in that. But you know, property's not liquid. Property's is expensive to get in and out of. There's stamp duty, there's commissions to get out of, there's legals, there's, you know, people can look at the value of their house right now, but to transition into another one or a better one, is gonna be a lot more costly. And then when we got to get this growth spurt that we've had over the last two years again, or is it once in a lifetime that this growth that we've seen more recently? So, you know, for, for me, I've, as, as I get older and, and the themes that I look at at the moment, you go, okay, where are the a- assets that have had a lot of growth? Should I be like crystallizing some of that and should I be diversifying that risk out a little bit more because it's not going to happen forever? There's always the FOMO and be careful when you start feeling that emotional need to get into an asset class because you see it growing. Probably don't because that means it's probably at the at the, at the tipping edge. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, the best sort of thing that I can see at the moment with so much uncertainty, a lot of volatility coming back into the markets, as we've seen in January 2022, so be diversified. Go into assets that you feel safe and secure around. Know your own budget as well, and how those kind of that asset liability sort of matching goes, even in the hard times and the good times. And uh, you know, save any surplus for for a rainy day. I think
3: those are great comments because I think we're actually feeling that euphoric state at the moment in NFTs. At the moment, everyone's buying NFTs
1: and and crypto. We just felt it right, and that's obviously come off a lot recently. But there's all these sort of themes, and I'm like. When it comes to these types of alternative asset classes, yeah. I'm like... Be happy to lose it. It's your casino money. It's your casino money. Be, be prepared to make 200% out of it, but be prepared to lose the whole thing. So, And, and that's the way you kind of need to, to, to go with it because let's be honest, when it comes to these sort of asset classes... I've spoken to a lot of people about whether it's NFTs, whether it's about crypto, and no one really knows what they're talking about yet. I'm still, I'm still not convinced of any one answer that I've received that they can tell me this is the way it works. This is the market. This is how it's going to grow over time. This is from a regulatory point of view what's going to happen. No one has that kind of insight that I'd really be looking for to, to feel you know, safe to, to put a material amount of money in anyway.
3: 100%. And I guess it does come back to, again, it's just time in investments and time in the market rather than time in it and I think that's why the investment bonds are such a great alternative investment vehicle because it kind of forces you somewhat to have that 10-year time horizon like why be in equities less than that I mean just wouldn't be
1: exactly and that's uh, Felicity spot on like I couldn't agree with that more I mean the time value of money right is the most powerful thing and you know name the, the people that pick the top or pick the bottom of when you know sort of markets have moved and so I, At the end of the day, your best friend is the time value of money. So whenever you invest or if you're a little bit worried about markets, maybe you can dollar cost average into them just to make sure that you feel like you're getting a better deal as you enter them. And look, you might enter them and you think, oh, my goodness, it's risen 30 percent over the time frame that I did that. I should have just put it all in at the start. There'll always be a level of regret. But the one thing you won't regret is time in the market because you know, from what we've seen over history, markets always grow. So if you spend a bit more time, regardless of where you get in, and it's funny when you always look back on, and I love all those graphs that show, you know, 100 years of history in financial markets. And you look at all the big events, and they're so small now, right, compared to where the market is today. So you know, you can survive all of those, as long as you haven't over leveraged yourself to to get into those particular investments. And What I really like about the investment bond, and it was really interesting in March 2020, because a lot of people, when they see markets contract, a lot of people like to crystallize their losses and sell out, which we all know is the worst thing to do, because you get a a bounce back pretty quickly. We've all seen the bounce backs a year following a massive correction. But with an investment bond, I thought we going to see many redemptions. Um, what's going to happen um, over the next few months as this kind of COVID situation that no one's really endured before starts to play out. And it was, it was really, really interesting, the insights that we received because no one came to us for their money. In fact, our redemption rate was probably the lowest it's ever been. So people were going, no, you know what? I know I've got some great tax benefits that's going to come along with this particular structure. So I want to keep those. So I'm not going to go to this particular asset for liquidity. And what was more interesting is that in the last quarter of that year our inflows for that particular period was was a record so a lot of people started to, to invest with us because they looked at things like the estate planning stuff because it was it was a pandemic so that was hot um, in terms of you know it was very very topical and the creditor protection piece Um was another key driver as well around that.
3: Wow, yeah, because a lot of small businesses. Look, to finish off, what advice would you give an athlete starting out in their sporting career in relation to their finances? Because obviously, you know, a lot of people have heard that athletes don't necessarily make the best financial decisions. However, you're a bit different, obviously, because you got into finance. So any advice for any um, up-and-coming athletes listening?
1: Oh, I, I, I'm actually super passionate about this this one because when, when I was at Westpac, one of the businesses I set up there... Um, was called Alpha, which was sport and ent- was for sports people and entertainers, purely because of this issue. Huge amounts of cash flow, but not much education. Heaps of, I guess, fans hanging around them, telling them what to do with their money. And if you've got a lot of money, you haven't got too much education or experience around it, and you've got a lot of people who are hanging on, it's like that I call it the MC Hammer effect. I think he was spending like a million dollars a month, the month he said, on his entourage. Like, it doesn't matter how much money you're making... If you spend it, you're going to have nothing left. So my piece of advice would be um, get the right people around you who are going to help you, get the right accountant, um, get the right financial advisor to be able to support you and put a heap of discipline in place. Um, The one thing that I did in my career, because you're young too, you try to keep up with, you know, if you're on a football team, maybe the other player who bought the latest iPhone or whatever it might be, you feel like you're young. So you're a little bit more susceptible, I think, to those sorts of behaviors But the one thing I did was I had three categories of um, every time I'd receive income. One would go in the expenses, mortgage sort of um, tax bucket. The next one would go pure investments. And then I'd have a a certain percentage that would go into discretionary spending, which would be my play spending. So if that added up to a lot of money, great, I could spend it on whatever I wanted to. But I almost put these disciplines in place before the money got to me. So I knew what I could and I couldn't spend. And I think... If I said anything, to two things that I would say to to an athlete or anyone in that type of situation is make sure you get the right people around you and make sure you put the right disciplines in place and the rest will look after itself
3: that's fantastic that is a really good way I think to wrap our episode um, before we sign off remember although Candice and I are financial advisors at Shore and partners please note our discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice as always you should seek professional financial advice before making any financial or investment decisions now grant if people want to follow gen life how can we how can we find you
1: yeah just jump on the website so just genlife.com.au and, and have a look at what we've got to offer and Give us a call or give your financial advisor a call and we'd love to you know, run through some scenarios with you and see if investment bonds are for you.
3: Awesome. And make sure you also follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. We're also now on Reddit and TikTok and also follow our LinkedIn. Until
0: next time. Thanks for coming, Grant. Talk soon.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me on, Candice. Talk Money To Me is a
0: product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money To Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Equitymates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the host of Talk Money To Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.